Our scripture reading today will be from 1 Corinthians 11th chapter 1 through 10. If you have a mobile device, you're welcome to look it up on that. If you want to use one of the uh, Bibles in the pew, it's on page 1205. And if you have a large print Bible, it will be on page 1789. Again, we would like to uh, welcome our guest and thankful that you're here with us today. And if you do not have a church home, we'd like for you to come back and uh, check us out again. If you have a Connect card that's in the front pew, it's a blue and white card, if you would fill that out for us and you can turn that in with an offering or either leave it in the pew, that way the pastor can send you a note. And uh, just thank you for being with us on uh, this Easter Sunday. Again, 1 Corinthians 11, 1 through 10. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preach to you, which you receive and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you believe in vain. For what I receive I pass on to you as first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried and He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, He appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I have persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace to me was not without effect. No, I work harder than all of them, yet not, but the grace of God was with me. Whether then it was, or I, or they, this is what we preached, and this is what you believed. All right, well, welcome on this Easter Sunday. So good to have you all with us. You all looking sharp. Good job. <laughs> uh, as we prepare to talk about the gospel today, good news, uh, I was... I was at my, do you ever get these little flyers? I bet you got some before Easter Sunday, right? Flyers either in the mail from churches, you know, giving away a thousand Xboxes today. You picked the wrong place. Uh, or, or you might have just, you know, gotten something, you know, hung on your door or whatever. We got all the above. And, and uh, you know, I was at my, I went by my parents' house. You know, they're not in town right now. I just went by, checked on the house. Uh, this was actually maybe a month ago or something. And there was a flyer, a little card on it. And uh, it just kind of cracked me up, and so I want to poke a little bit of fun at it today. But I'm not going to tell you the name of the church, and I have no ill will against them. And uh, in fact, if it ends up sounding like the kind of church you'd like to go to, I'll be glad to let you know where it is. But 
Um, but it just kind of cracked me up because it's very different from from uh, me and, and you know my ideas and strategies. Which I'm glad. I'm glad there's different kinds of churches with different kinds of strategies because there's different kinds of people, right? And so it's good. But uh, anyway, it just kind of cracked me up. For one, it called itself a, a personal invitation. And I thought that was kind of funny. And so they just stuck it on the door. <laughs> it's not real personal, but anyway. Uh, just a little, some little bits and pieces of it. You know, it said, it said that they, they use the King James Bible. And I think this is the funniest thing throughout this card, is the, their use of capital letters to emphasize different things. And it just makes me laugh. We'll see if it makes you laugh. But, you know, obviously, that's the only real Bible. So we capitalize Bible. <laughs> Because that's what they use the real one, and uh, and so and where the difference is worth the drive. Now, like I said, I have nothing against them, even though they're trying to recruit my parents away from our church. Um, that's all right. My own parents, anyway. Uh, on the back, they have kind of their gospel, I guess, and and I say their gospel because to me, it doesn't really seem like the gospel to me that I find in Scripture. And, and so, but I think it probably sounds a lot like a lot of us are used to hearing the gospel. It said things like, if you die today, do you, oh sorry, do know <laughs> if you would go to heaven. You can! And then we have the, the questions you've got to have like, are you, I'm trying to do the emphasis right, a good person? Have you ever disobeyed your parents? How many lies have you told? <laughs> have you ever stolen anything? You know, the, uh, down at the bottom, would God say that you are innocent? Or clearly what they think more likely, guilty. <laughs> and, and then, of course, this one, where would God send you? Heaven? Less likely. Or hell. <laughs> and then we finally get to something that maybe does kind of resemble the gospel a little more. Jesus loves you and paid your sin debt on the cross and wants to save you today. I bring this up and I point it out to, to just kind of make the point that if I went around with a microphone today and asked each of you to tell me what is the gospel, we would get a hundred some odd different answers. I know this because we did this experiment on a Wednesday night not too long ago. And, and even though a lot of the answers were similar to each other, there was also some that weren't very similar to each other. And so if we went around this room, we'd probably hear everything from, well, it's good news, uh, well, it's God's word, um, well, it's, it's about where you'd go if you die, it's, uh, it's about forgiveness, it's, you know, we, we'd hear a whole different just a whole slew and variety of answers and certainly if we took that conversation out onto the streets and just talked to anyone we came in contact with the answers would doubtless get even more diverse, right? And, and so I feel like today our, my goal is that we would come away from this message today all of us crystal clear on what the gospel is. And I think that's important. I mean, the Bible says it's important, but, you know, it, it says it's the power to save. I mean, if, if you're a Christian here today, shouldn't it matter that we're crystal clear on what the gospel is, if it is our entire hope? 
if it is what our salvation is based on, according to Scripture. I mean, if that's what we believe, shouldn't we be crystal clear on what the gospel is? And if we're not crystal clear on what the gospel is, how could we ever expect the world around us to be crystal clear on what it is? To know what they are accepting or rejecting? And if you're here with us today, um, and, and you're not a Christian, and, or you're just you know, kind of somewhere in between, you're not really sure where you're at with stuff, and uh, maybe somebody twisted your arm, you know, you're going to come sit with your grandmother, <laughs> or, or I'll buy your lunch if you come, then, you know, and you're here and you're still kind of trying to figure all that out, that's great, we're so glad you're here, and I think this is an important conversation for you too, for that very reason. Uh, wouldn't you want to be clear on what you're accepting or rejecting? If, if you know, a lot, I think there's a lot of confusion. I think there's a lot of um, a lot of people who think that what they're rejecting is, you know, a, a moralistic thing of you got to go to church, you got to do this, this, and this, uh, and, and that's what they're rejecting when they are rejecting the gospel. But that's not exactly what the gospel is. And so let's get clear about what the gospel is today, because it's the thing that the apostles of Jesus and Jesus himself seem to say is what determines whether you are saved and right with God or not. Nothing else, just the gospel and whether you believe it or not and how you respond to it. And so let's, let's just kind of explore this a little bit today and let's set the record straight because there's so many different versions out there. Now, I'm... I mean, it sounds kind of audacious. We're going to set the record straight today on what the gospel is. You know, <laughs> might even sound a little bit arrogant. And uh, and certainly, if I had to sift through all the versions of gospel out there and, and tell you which one is the true gospel, I'm not that smart. But but luckily, what we can do is find out what it was to start with. See, I don't know, you know, what you think about this. There's probably a lot of us in here that, that feel like it's holy scripture, that it's divinely inspired, that it's you know important, inerrant, all those kinds of words uh, and things. But then there's probably also some people in here that are a little bit more skeptical about a book that's supposed to be holy and perfect and, and, uh, and don't all the religions say that their book is holy and perfect and and we don't, you know, it's just another one of those books, like the Koran or the Book of Mormon or the whatever. You know, there's dozens of holy books. And so what makes this one so special and why should we believe what it says? But no matter what you believe about this book today, one thing that we should all be able to agree on is that it is one of the most impressive collections of ancient manuscripts ever compiled around one topic. I mean, it is. There is no other piece of ancient history that we have found to this day that has this many ancient manuscripts dating back to the time period, all from different sources, different authors, all talking about the same thing. And when it comes to the gospel, we have various accounts all the way back to the first century when it happened, from different people, all saying the same thing about the gospel. They're all crystal clear about what the gospel is. And so that's a huge help for us today. And that's why I can say we're going to set the record straight today. Because all we have to do is go back and look at the accounts right in here where they say, and here is the gospel. And we know then 
what it, at least what it was, and not what people have made it through the years. This passage that we looked at today in 1 Corinthians 15 is, is a perfect example. Uh, maybe one of the most perfect examples if you listen to historians. This letter from the Apostle Paul to a, a local church in Corinth and around Greece and all that nowadays. Uh, he sent this letter to them. They believe it's one of the earliest written letters and documents in our New Testament. It dates around 50 AD or just a little bit after, which is you know 20 years at the most after Jesus' life, death, resurrection took place. And in this letter, very early letter, written while people who witnessed all those events were still alive, Paul writes this little part that we read today where he says, this is my gospel. And then he does this little, uh, it's, historians believe it's a creed, kind of like a, something that dates before the letter, you know, that Paul is inserting into his letter. Something that probably all of the Christians would have known by heart. Because remember, they didn't have New Testaments to carry around with them. They just had what they had memorized. And, and Paul says, what I received, I passed on to you. And then he shares this sort of creed, or whatever you want to call it, um, compact, memorizable gospel with them. And, and historians believe that that probably dates to within five years or less of Jesus' death and resurrection. Because Paul would have received it right after he first believed. And there's after he came to Christ, and, the, and that's a phenomenal story if you want to read that, how that all took place, but, or at least how he said it took place. And then he came and spent time in Jerusalem with the apostles, like Peter, John, all those guys that had walked with Jesus and done all those things. And, and so, I mean, watch what it says. He says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved. See what I mean? It's kind of important to get clear on what it is. Because <laughs> it's by this gospel we are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you believed in vain. Now watch. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. That... Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas. And then to the twelve. And after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Most of whom are still living. Though some have fallen asleep. And you can imagine as Paul is receiving this gospel... I mean, maybe he just went for a stroll with Peter through Jerusalem. And maybe Peter said, this here, this is Golgotha. This is where they put the cross. Right here is, is where he died. And let's walk over here and let me show you Joseph of Arimathea's tomb where they laid him. This is the tomb. This is where we ran to on that morning when the women told us it was empty and we didn't believe them. But it was. And then maybe he took them to the place where Jesus first appeared to him. It says that he appeared to Cephas. That's Aramaic for Peter. That's Peter's name. He appeared to Peter and then to the twelve and so forth. I mean... 
you don't get more primary than that as far as historical sources go. To have been in the place, in the city that had witnessed it, near the tomb where they had laid him. I mean, if he was still in that tomb, he would have still been in that tomb <laughs> when Paul walked by and saw it. it. It's pretty amazing. And so we know a little bit of what the gospel is, don't we? Because Paul explicitly says, this is the gospel I preach to you. That Christ died for our sins. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. That he appeared to all these people. Now, this is just one of many versions like this of gospel summaries. They're all a little bit different. And there's a lot of different ways you can tell the gospel. But what we consistently find across every gospel presentation throughout your New Testament is that the gospel is always the account of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It's always the account of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Sometimes they summarize it more. That one from Paul right there just kind of hit on the death and resurrection part mostly. Uh, but others talk more about his life. And then, but they always hit on the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's always about Jesus. It's always about Jesus. Because Jesus is the subject of the gospel. Really, he's the only subject of the gospel. Anything else you want to say is peripheral. Because <laughs> Jesus is the subject of the gospel every time. You know, we don't even, there's lots of little summaries like that, but there's also the first uh, four manuscripts contained in your New Testament are each books in their own right. And they're all titled the same way. Oftentimes we just call them Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? But they're official title is the gospel according to Matthew, the gospel according to Mark, the gospel according to Luke, the gospel according to John. Because they are not a summary, but the gospel more in full. And again, they have different nuances, they have different ways of sharing that gospel, but in every case, it's about the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's supreme. You know, people like to point to inconsistencies and little things that are a little bit different here and a little bit different there. And yet, remarkably, everything that we have that's a reliable source about Jesus Christ says that he lived, he died, he rose again. And those are the fundamentals of our gospel. And that's what we base our hope on. That's what Paul says and the other apostles say has the power to save according to Jesus Christ. So that's the gospel. Longer accounts like those early, the first gospels that appear in our New Testament, those books like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they include other details that Paul's didn't. Like um, a lot of times they start with either the birth of Jesus, you know, and signifying the, uh, that he was, for the Jews it was a big deal, that he was born in the line of David, which was prophesied to be where the Messiah would come from. Uh, oftentimes they, well in fact every one of them starts with John the Baptist early on. And, and they talk about how John called people to repent and they pointed, he pointed them to Jesus and said that's the Messiah. And many of John's own disciples whom he had groomed then went and followed Jesus and became names that we know now as apostles and disciples. And so 
he was a key part of it. Uh, you also had uh, you also had the teachings of Jesus in there, right? About what you know the kingdom of God was going to look like, and, and you had his miraculous signs that his disciples believed pointed to him as the Messiah, that King. And the people around that saw it happening, they believed that too. And the people that were the real smart ones, the, uh, the religious leaders, the ultra-educated ones that listened to what Jesus had to say, seemed to see right through the way he was being kind of sly about what he said. And they saw what he was saying, both about them and about himself. And they didn't like the fact that he was calling himself the King, the Messiah. They didn't like the fact that he was equating himself to God and making himself divine. The way that he did things with authority and so forth. And so they connived and they schemed and they crucified him. They got the Romans to crucify him because they couldn't. And Jesus, we're told in those Gospels, was willing, willing to let them crucify him because that was his mission all along he said God so loved the world that he sent his only son and so he went to the cross and he took the consequence for our sin our choosing to live our way instead of God's way he took that consequence on himself and then the gospels all tell us that after he had died on that cross after he was buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea on the third day, they went to find him. They couldn't find him until he appeared to them alive. Physically alive. Not a ghost, not a hallucination. But physically alive. They touched him. They ate with him. They had conversations with him that only Jesus could have the conversations. They were shocked. Then none of them saw it coming. They couldn't have. Pretty amazing stuff. Pretty amazing claims. This is the gospel. And you can read them you know, in, in greater detail. But that's just kind of a synopsis of what is consistently taught. And the amazing thing is, historians, both Christian historians that study this specifically, and, and the skeptics who study this specifically, they pretty well all agree not only that Jesus lived but that he was crucified for the reasons we stated that he was buried in that particular tomb is widely agreed upon for a whole lot of reasons I don't have time to go into all of them now but, and then also amazingly they believe that the tomb was empty on the third day and they believe that Individuals and groups of individuals experienced appearances of him. And where they disagree is on how that happened. <laughs> and so those who are skeptics, you know, are unwilling to accept as a historical fact that God even exists in the first place, much less raised Jesus from the dead. But they are also unable to find an explanation that fits all of the facts and the things that took place afterwards and the spread of Christianity and all the, that took place in the aftermath. There's no, I mean, there's, there's been theories put forth and they've all been found lacking. Theories that, well, maybe they hallucinated it. Well, that was found lacking. Well, maybe they made it up, you know, to create a new religion and, and fame for themselves. Yeah, that worked out real good for them. Uh, you know, 
there just hasn't been a theory yet that's been proposed that makes as much sense as just God raised Jesus from the dead. It fits all the facts that we know and that are widely accepted. So Christians, we believe. We believe in the gospel account of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We believe it on faith, yes. But not without any grounds. Not without any evidence. Christianity has always, from the beginning, been based on that event that took place on that first Easter morning. If you think about it, there was no Bible for the first few centuries as Christianity swept across the Roman Empire and eventually took it over. No Bibles. Just this gospel. Just this gospel that was first spread by word of mouth and then put into books as we have it today. Why does this matter to you and to me? I mean, really, say Jesus did die and resurrect I mean, if you or I died and resurrected tomorrow, it would probably cause a little bit of a stir. It might make the news. It might make national news. But with the rate that news changes nowadays, it would probably only last about a day, right? And we'd be on to something else. <laughs> it w- I, don't, I, don't, I can't imagine that if I died and then resurrected, that a, a whole movement would crop up that would just sweep the world. So why does it matter? I think it has everything to do with what Jesus claimed before he did that and after he did that. See, he didn't go around like you and me. I mean, at least I don't think any of us are going around saying, I'm the Son of God. You know, I was sent here to save you. (laughs) To save you all, to fix everything that's wrong with the world. That's why I'm here. And as a matter of fact, if you want to have a right relationship with God, I am the way to do that. If you do go around saying that, I probably can find a couple of phone numbers for you of institutions that can help you out. At least until you die and then resurrect and then we might have another conversation. But when Jesus claimed all those things, performed all those signs, spoke and lived with such authority died such a shameful and tragic death and then raised back to life. That was a game changer. And it made people throughout the ages stand up and listen to what he had to say. Thousands, millions have placed their faith and their hope in this gospel that Jesus really did live, die, and resurrect that he is the son of God that he is the king if it's true what do we do with it and we got to tackle that before we can be done here so if it's true I want to give you three things what should we do with the gospel I want to give one thing that's for everybody one thing that's just for Christians and one thing that's just for, well, primarily for folks who aren't yet Christians. 
first off, for everybody, we should learn more about the gospel. We should. I mean, no-brainer, if you're a Christian, and, uh, I mean, like we said earlier, shouldn't we be crystal clear about what the gospel is? And and I've been convicted of this lately, because so many times I can open up and read something about Jesus, and and I'm like, I don't even remember that. (laughs) I know I've read it before, but I don't even remember that. You know, I mean, I went to Sunday school as a kid, and you should take your kids. It's a great place to learn about it. I went to, um, you know, I listened to a lot of sermons as a kid. I went to church a lot. You should come. I've read the Bible. We should all do that. I went to college for it. I took classes on it. And we can't maybe all do that, but we can all listen to people and buy books and things that, of, of experts and, and, you know, learn from them as well. But having done all of that, there are still times that I look at a story and I can't remember that. Or I realize that I've never taken the time to understand that. It's always been confusing to me. Why haven't I taken the time to sit down and, and search and research and ask somebody? Because if the gospel... As Christians, if the gospel is our entire hope, if it's what our salvation is based on, if it is what the hope of the world is based on, then shouldn't we know it like the back of our hands? And if you're not a Christian, this is still arguably the most transformational message in all of history. It would be worth studying. It would be worth learning more about it. Because this is, this is it for Christians fundamentally I know a lot of churches and a lot of Christians we bicker about stuff and we get off on these side things and we argue about the color of the carpet or uh, you know when's Jesus going to come back is it going to be like this is it going to be like that And, and we've got all these things that we get off track on but this is the gospel that Jesus lived died and resurrected that is what salvation is based on that's what our hope is based on so don't dismiss God for any other reason Learn more about the gospel itself. And decide what you think about Jesus based on that. Because that is the foundation of our faith according to Jesus and his apostles. So I challenge all of you. Take up the challenge that I just recently took up. To start thoroughly going through the gospels. I'll go through them again and again if I have to. Until I come to a place where I feel like... You know, I'm sure I'll never feel like I've just arrived or whatever, but I want to know it well. I want to know it through and through. I want to study the parts that are hard to figure out, and I can help you do that too if you want to wrestle with it. And there's Bible reading plans, um, like uh, the Bible app that you can download that specifically help you go through the Gospels. Go through them a few times. Go through them in different ways. And get to know the Gospel. Now something just, just for Christians what to do with the gospel. We should be prepared to share the gospel. And we just recently did a, a whole series about promoting the gospel, advancing the cause of Christ. And, uh, and we did, the last message was specifically about this, so we don't have to spend much time about it. But we talked about how the one thing that we're all called to do with the gospel is to answer for our faith, answer for the hope that we have in the gospel. And so like when it comes up in conversation with someone, don't just keep quiet. Hope that it passes on by. Take the opportunity, seize the opportunity to speak up for your faith. To say, 
at the, at the very least. I believe Jesus Christ actually lived, died for my sins, and resurrected from the dead. Alright Christians, let's practice. You ready? Say it together. I believe Jesus Christ actually lived, died for my sins, and resurrected from the dead. That Christ bit is important because, well, especially in, in Jesus' day, there were lots of Jesuses. You know, it's like uh, Joes around here, right? So, um, Jesuses. There were lots of Jesuses. But there was just one Jesus Christ. And Christ is a title. Chosen one, Messiah, King of God's kingdom. And so we're talking about a specific Jesus that claimed those things, that lived, that died, that resurrected. Last thing. To people who are new believers. What I mean is, if you come to the place and you decide you believe that, you believe the gospel, that is, you believe that Jesus lived, died, resurrected. He lived, He died for your sins, He resurrected from the dead. If you decide you believe that, what then? What do you do with that? And that's the question that people have been asking since the first people believed it. And so again, thankfully, we can go back and look at the time when the first proclamation of the gospel was heard. Amazingly, it was heard by thousands of people. I think God timed that one pretty good. And and 3,000 people decided they believed it. Give or take. And it was Peter and the other apostles who were proclaiming that first gospel. And it was about 3,000 Jews mostly that decided they believed it. That were in Jerusalem the day it was proclaimed. And they all said to the apostles, Brothers, what do we do now? (laughs) And that's the question people have been asking ever since. Okay, so I believe. What now? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let's put that in our language. That would be turn away from the way you have been living to His way of life. And be baptized. That is immersed in water. It's just a, it's the one public act that Jesus asks us to do. Uh, you thought that it was required to uh, meet in a pastor's office or go down to an altar or something like that, but really, they just said, repent, turn from your way of life to his way of life, show that you mean it by getting baptized into the family of God, and God will give you his Holy Spirit to help you live his new way of life. Because there's none of us that can do it on our own, hence the problem in the first place, right? We believe his way of life is best. But that's what you do when you decide you believe. Now I should say there's a lot of ways that people respond to it, but that's the way that Jesus and his apostles said was the only right way to respond to belief in the gospel, that it actually happened. That we turn from our old way of life to a new way of life. That we're baptized 
that we receive the forgiveness for our sins and the Holy Spirit to help us live in a new way. This is the gospel. It's that's just a summary I'll throw up there. But you know, think about think about what the gospel has done in, in people's lives over the last two thousand years. Christians for two thousand years have claimed and experienced that through faith in the gospel broken lives were mended sick and dying were healed people who were lonely and hopeless received hope people who uh, you know thought they had it all together were humbled by the gospel to realize they didn't People who were trapped and enslaved to addictions and habits finally found freedom. And ultimately, people who were very far from God were drawn near to God. Or maybe take a look, a broader look around at the world. And what's happened in 2,000 years. And, and on the one hand you might say, well there sure is still a lot of brokenness in our world. A lot of darkness in our world. A lot of problems in our world. And that's true. And Jesus said there always would be until he comes back as a good judge to set it all right. But consider some of what the, the gospel has accomplished. I mean, it didn't take but just a few hundred years to practically shut down pagan worship, which had been the predominant religion throughout ancient history and certainly across the Roman Empire. And this little upstart movement started by fishermen and such <laughs> shut it down. Practically annihilated from the planet. The, the poor in the world finally had someone who cared and looked after their concerns the prisoners finally had someone to visit them the sick people finally had somewhere to go and be treated because Christians started building hospitals and things like that and to this day most of them are built by Christians those who were ignored or oppressed had someone fighting for their God-given human rights. That didn't happen by accident. That didn't happen by human evolution. We didn't just get smarter and realize, hey, we're each important no matter who you are. No, that comes from the gospel. It's amazing what the gospel has done in our world and what it continues to do in people's lives. People in this room could stand up and tell you what the gospel has done in their lives. Some of us, like me, have come from generations that have sought and believed in this gospel and have tried to faithfully respond to it. And the, the transformation that it's made in our family tree 
from, from what we once were, you know, to what we are. And, and there's so many, I've known people who, they started the transformation in the family tree, and now they've got grandkids and great-grandkids that are living a different way and experiencing a different life and, and living with hope and stability, you know, and less drama and, you know, all that stuff because they're living a different way that the gospel has changed their life. And I believe that the gospel is still every bit as powerful today as it was the moment it first happened 2,000 years ago when they put Jesus on a cross they took him down and they buried him in that particular tomb and on the third day they found it empty no one could explain why until Jesus showed up Maybe you're here today and you're either maybe you've never been a Christian or maybe it was something you did as a kid and kind of walked away from, but in your heart you, you do believe that Jesus lived, died, and rose from the dead. It's just a bunch of other stuff that's maybe hung you up on things. Well, the way to respond according to Jesus and his apostles is to repent. Turn from your way of life to his way of life. Be baptized. Receive the Holy Spirit. Start living a new way. The gospel is still at work in the world today and it can be at work in you as well. If you would like to pray such a prayer today, let's pray it together. Let's close our eyes. Bow our heads. Father, thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for this gospel. We thank you for, for loving us enough to send your only son. Today we confess that our way of life has been destructive. What we have thought was best was not best. In our world, our individual worlds and our world at large, is in need of saving, in need of help. We believe that Jesus lived, died, and resurrected so that we could have hope, so that we could have forgiveness for sins. So Holy Spirit, as we determine to turn from our ways and start living your way, we ask that you would empower us, fill us, Help us to live lives worthy of the gospel. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.